Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning. I am here with Zoom. That is the alter ego of Flash. You actually used that once on me to uh, refer to being lightning fast, Zoom. But uh, it works both ways now. Now I get to use it on you for a Z word. I, I am very proud of you. Yeah. That, that was actually the second one on my list. I've been jumping around a little bit here. Uh, we are joined today by uh, Mr. Uh, Jay Selly, and uh, he is a seventh, seventh grade? Seventh grade, yeah. Seventh grade teacher, uh, what, what, athletic director. What is your second son grade? <laughs> what is my second son's name? No, I'm, Mick. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Median, I believe. <laughs> Micah. Click to subscribe, right? Click, yeah. <laughs> so our youngest, Andre, when we were still living in Kansas, um, and, and Micah was first getting these aspirations to make YouTube videos, I go to the, the bus stop with Andre to pick them up uh, from, from school, uh, Gabe and Micah, and, and Andre must have been, I don't know, four something like that, three maybe, and uh, it was warm. It was a warm Kansas uh, spring day or something, I think, and, and he, I have the windows rolled down while we're waiting for the bus to pull up, and all of a sudden, Andre is leaning out the window to the nearest house, and he's yelling, Click like and subscribe! <laughs> <laughs> because Micah has his own YouTube channel, and he had a contest with me, with our church to have more subscribers than the church. Oh, I think this contest is still ongoing. Oh, it is. I didn't know. I, I thought. I think this is just going to be a permanent thing that he's. Oh, I thought that we just won because we were at 120. Oh, maybe. I don't know what the rules of the contest were, but uh, he is constantly in competition. Well, well, listeners, listeners, help us out by subscribing to the Water of Life YouTube Water channel. of Life. Water of Life, and not Micah Lightning. No. All right. Yeah, so Jay, you are our seventh grade teacher, our assistant principal for a few more months. Yes, and athletic director. And athletic director. Don't forget all the positions. <laughs> but the athletic director, that's easy, right? Easy, yeah, that's, easy. there's, nothing, there's to nothing to it. No. <laughs> You're like hardly last, do anything. The last one, you got to be like the last one to leave the gym, pretty much. You got to yeah, clean up. Yeah, pretty much. Clean up, yeah. And uh, people like to hang out in the gym quite a while after basketball games. So how long have you been here at WLS, Wisconsin Lutheran School in Racine? I've been at Wisconsin Lutheran School for six years now. So this is my sixth year. And before that, I was at St. John in Redwood Falls. So what's it like teaching seventh grade homeroom in an urban school setting? Um, you know, it's not as difficult as it may seem. I think that the urban setting kind of gets a bad rap at times, and it seems like the kids maybe have more difficult problems. But in reality, kids are kids, and you know, every kid has the same issues that are going on with identity, friend groups, dealing with those issues. And so it, it really isn't much different than any other school. I think that it's just that there's other issues that come with living in an urban environment. Um, poverty and those kind of things that exasperate those problems and, and make those problems seem more challenging at times. I'm, I'm really glad you said that. I, I never thought of that because I think so often people are always saying the opposite, that, oh, this is a different 
ball of wax. This is a totally different world, the, the inner city. And uh, it's, I, I appreciate that, that, yeah, people are people and uh, the sin is sin. And um, it's not, yeah, it's not that much. So it wasn't that much of a shock to you? No, no, not really. I mean, I think it was more of a shock in reality, just coming here and, and seeing that nothing is really that different. Um, <laughs> coming from Redwood Falls, where like 5,000 people that live in the city. I went to Walmart one time at 6 in the morning and ran into another teacher that taught at the same school as me. So it's just like you you couldn't not run into the same people there. And we had basically the same issues, the same kind of problems with students, the same um, issues the, the, are, the thing are wherever you, just, you go. The, the most shocking thing was that it wasn't shocking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I remember one of our pastors nearby – the church, they have a school like us. We're on the same size school. And this was several years ago, and the pastor was lamenting kind of the issues that he was having with some of the students and the parents. And I feel bad because I laughed. And I just said, oh, you know what? Now you know what we're going through. Because, you know, this is a country church, and they're, uh, they didn't have quite the kind of issues that we have. We, we talked about this last week with Dave Ring, our principal, that though when you have school choice and we talked about the blessings and curses of school choice, well then you have the blessings of bringing in new families and new children who don't know Jesus very well or at all, but then the curses of they don't know Jesus very well. Mm. And so uh, now this school was getting into school choice and they were kind of getting some of those things as well. And I don't know if it's necessarily the city, you know, like, Redwood Falls versus Racine, it's more of whether these kids are growing up with the Christian morals than than they would in our own families growing up in the church. Mm. Yeah, and I think that we have to have certain expectations when we're dealing with kids that haven't grown up in the church and um, understand that they're coming from a much different situation than myself is used to. You know, I went to Lutheran grade school, high school, college, um, never experienced much of a public school. And these kids are coming with no knowledge of God's word and no knowledge of Jesus. Um, Very know. low expectations even from like uh, as far as behaviorally from schools or backgrounds that they were in before that they come to come to us and we have quite high standards. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, having a perspective that these kids don't know any better and, and we get the opportunity to teach them how to behave and, and what it looks like to reflect Christian morals is, is really important. Um, and to a certain extent, it, it, it gives teachers, too, a perspective that if you look at the, the public schools around this area, um, I've I've heard from public school teachers what it's like, and you know, the difference is is very stark. Uh, it, we have far fewer problems when it comes to discipline, when it comes to behaviors, than the public schools are dealing with. And sometimes uh, our problems seem magnified, even though they're they're really not as bad as we think they are. It's just that in our environment, the small problems seem big problems. But if you take a more holistic approach and you look at everybody around you and you can see that that's not quite quite as bad as it, it could be yeah uh you know uh 
Mike Sarling just meant Mike, Michael, excuse me. Michael mentioned uh, gotta the, be proper. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the um, uh, fact that uh, you recently accepted a call to um, oh. Fond du Lac. Fond du Lac. Yeah, Fond du Lac. Excuse yep. me. Um, and so I was, I was just wondering if, uh, and and obviously you've thought through a call uh, coming from Minnesota to here. Uh, so, uh, what kinds of things now that you've gone through that process twice, uh, and, and you've also gone through call processes, I know of that you've returned calls, mm -hmm. um, what go, what all goes into the deliberation for a teacher? Well, so the call that I originally had to come to WLS was actually kind of an interesting one. Um, my wife was finishing up her last year at MLC, and so I took a one-year assignment at that point and stayed around the area while she was finishing up student teaching. When she finished, we had the choice whether we wanted to stay in Redwood Falls or go to the assignment committee. So that was kind of a hard choice because it was basically telling the congregation, I'd rather take the unknown than the known. <laughs> and so it's, it kind of gives kind of weird vibes, but uh, the, the congregation was super understanding. My wife wanted to teach high school. They were offering second grade for her wasn't where she wanted to be necessarily so we ended up deciding that she would take a call with from the assignment committee and then I would just follow since if she got a high school call there would likely be grade school so it ended up that she got called to Shoreland from the assignment committee and that or assigned to Shoreland I should say and then uh, WS called me hours after uh, letting me know that I had a position if I wanted it so it was kind of a I could take a call or not have a job, so that was a pretty easy one. <laughs> and then for this process, it was a little more difficult. There's a lot of factors that went into it, and um, it was challenging, especially in the fact that trying to decide, trying to eliminate some of the things that didn't want it to be too much of a factor. Um, we do have family that's close to the Fond du Lac area, but we didn't want to necessarily just make that the only factor. It's obviously something that's important to us, and we, we love our family, and we want to be close to them. But trying to think about the other things that were going on at both schools and how I could best use my abilities. And um, there's some cool things going on at Faith that they're looking to departmentalize, and, and things that I've already done, they're just starting, starting to get into the Choice Program. So things that I've experienced here that I could take to that congregation and help through that process. So um, trying to figure out where my abilities would best serve and uh, use those. Just looking at looking at their situation and how how best you would fit. And what, what about ones that, uh, I mean, I, I think I'm remembering this correctly. You, there have been, you've had calls since we've lived in this area and returned them. Mm -hmm. Like what, what goes into that uh, process of the decision? Yeah, I think that one of the big things, I, I don't remember if someone told me this or or if I thought of this on my own. Probably somebody told me, but um, just thinking about the position and, you know, which position would be a little bit, ah, how do I say this? Uh, I'll take the, I had a call earlier this year to atonement, and the position just seemed very similar. It was kind of a anybody could do that position in, in my opinion not every anybody but it was a, a fifth and sixth English, English position where you know if they got somebody from the assignment committee 
a new graduate would be able to do that, and I think they could be successful in that role. And um, just trying to figure out, you know, it, if someone else could do that, are they using my gifts to the best ability? Um, and I just felt at that time that, you know, it's very similar to the role that I'm already fulfilling, and I don't think that it's necessarily something that couldn't be filled by somebody else, and so I felt like my position here at WLS was a little bit more of a position that needed somebody with a few more qualifications. Well, yes, and, and there's a lot to be said, I think, for continuity, that, like, um, if you don't, if you don't, if there's no good reason to disrupt what's going on, then why disrupt? What you were describing reminded me of when I was in Kansas that there were at least two calls that I had where it, the congregation, they were in totally different states from each other and from me, That uh, but the congregation was almost a carbon copy mm-hmm. of the one that I was currently serving. It was a small church uh, with, a, with a preschool, of some sort and uh, pretty stable and looking for a pastor and and it was kind of like well why don't I just spare myself the move <laughs> if uh, if it's just going to be the same thing in a different different location mm-hmm. yeah and what you were saying Jay reminded me of uh, when I was deliberating a call before Christmas and you know they had been calling for two years for a pastor and so I asked them a question because I wanted to make a question that they hadn't heard before. And I said, I asked all of the leaders, have you ever seen the movie Taken? You guys have seen Taken, right? Oh, yeah. Where I said, you know, I had explained it to them. You've got a teenage daughter in France that's underneath the bed, and she's taken by some kidnappers. And then the dad is on the phone, and he says to the kidnapper, I have a certain set of skills. And he goes on to explain what those skills are. So I asked each of the leaders of the congregation said, God has blessed me of 25 years in the ministry of being a home missionary, now being in a larger congregation with the school, being on various boards, being the mission board chairman. I have a certain set of skills. What makes me the kind of guy that you need as opposed to another pastor? Like you were saying, I think a lot of pastors and our church body could do that church because like you were saying, Jeremy, they were a healthy congregation, and uh, I was look, I'm looking for something to do either here or elsewhere that is a mission type type church. So that's you know that's where God has blessed me for 17 years of being here. It's always been doing more and more mission work because that's a certain set of skills that God's given me. Other things, not so much. Uh, do we want to get into the gospel lesson? Sure. All right. So uh, the gospel for this coming Sunday is Luke chapter 6, and I'll read uh, verses 27 through 38. Jesus is speaking, and he says, But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, offer the other too. If someone takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes away your things, do not demand them back. Treat others just as you would want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? To be sure, even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? 
Even the sinners do the same thing. If you lend to those from whom you expect to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners in order to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. In fact, the measure with which you measure will be measured back to you. So I'll ask you guys this question is, it's actually two questions. Based on Jesus' words here, how does the world expect us to show love? And then how is that different from how Jesus expects Christians to show love? So how does the world expect other worldly people to show love? I think it's kind of a give and take. You know, you you give love and you accept love and the expectation is that there's going to be love shown to you before you're willing to give the love back. I think that there's a certain element of, you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to show love to somebody if they're not willing to show love to me. Yeah, you, uh, I will, I will buy you a beer if, if you have previously bought me one or, or if I, if there's a reasonable expectation that you will buy me one in the future, then, then I will show love to you. I love anybody who buys me a beer. <laughs> there you go. So then how is what Jesus is teaching us different than what the world teaches? Because it's totally opposite. It, that, well, they, yeah, that's just it. It's, it's the complete different from the way that the world works. Um, what was your question again? How do Christians show love as opposed to the way the world shows love? Uh, well, the hope and prayer would be unconditionally that uh, we we love as He first loved us, and uh, that we don't uh, like like Paul said in Romans thirteen, love keeps no record of wrongs. You're, you're not you're not keeping track of uh, who has who has benefited me, and then I'll benefit them, or who's done me wrong, and then I'll withhold good from them. Yeah, I've kind of heard of. Jesus teaching as kind of an upside down kingdom heard it phrased that way. And that's kind of the way he talks about love too. It's just an upside down way of looking at love. It's, it's the same way that God loves us. He loved us first, not because of anything that we did, but because of who he is. And, and then we reciprocate love, but it's not something that God expected from us first. He, he did it despite our hatred of him really. Right, and I think that's a good way of explaining this is Jesus is really saying this is how your Heavenly Father loves you. Now you reflect that love. And that we don't treat people the way that they deserve to be, re- to be treated. Uh, that's the way the world treats other people on a merit system. That's not the way God works. Uh, like yesterday I got upset at my 7th graders because I was going through their their homework. And and I told them, I'm very easy on you guys. I tell you and I remind you, you've got your homework and then you got a quiz right afterwards. And I go through the quiz so that they should get 100% on it. And we're going down the row 
with some homework, and it was true and false. So it should have taken them three minutes for 20 questions. The first four out of the first five people did not have it done. So that's the first time I raised my voice with the seventh graders this year. And then I told them that they were they got the abusing my grace speech, which is <laughs> I said, I show you guys a lot of grace. I'm very easy with you guys. Uh, there's a lot of homework, but I'm an easy grader and so forth. And I always remind you of everything. And yet you abuse my grace. That's like uh, when God got pretty ticked with his people. You read Isaiah and it's pretty amazing. The first chapter of Isaiah is God just laying into his people because they abused his grace. And so, uh, yeah, they got that speech because uh, I want to treat them with grace. But if they if they want to be treated by the way the world treats, well, I don't want to do that, but I want to treat them with grace still, but don't abuse that. And then later on, one of those seventh graders hauled off and wounded his <laughs> teacher in the nose. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Selly is here with a scar from, from Spirit Week. Getting yeah, battle getting, wounds. Getting pied. So are we capitulating to evil? By just loving our enemies, as Paul says in the epistle lesson, praying for those who persecute you. Are we just laying down and letting our enemies walk all over us? I, you know, if, as long as you bring that up, it kind of reminded me of something I saw one time. It was not from a particular, it wasn't Lutheran, I don't think. It wasn't particularly Christian mindset, but it was somebody who knew the Bible. Uh, and it had to do with the whole... Um, uh, gay marriage uh, baker for a gay wedding cake type of debate, mm-hmm. and and it was the it was, the article went something it had like snippets or headlines that said something like um, if uh, if your enemy asks you to uh, bake a wedding cake for his gay marriage, then bake bake two for him. Oh. <laughs> and it was like it was it was taking this sentiment of Jesus and saying. Uh, well, you're Christians. You should be uh, following what Jesus said. And Jesus said, if you, if your enemy does this nasty thing to you, then you repay it with kindness. And so, um, how would you uh, respond to somebody who uses uses God's word that way? Oh yeah, I would respond the way that uh, an older pastor, uh, who's now a saint in heaven, he said, uh, "When did the devil put that in your head?" That was his response. That's a, that's a great one, but you're not going to get to use that too often. Yeah. Um, I'd say, yeah, we accept, uh, we repay evil with good, but that doesn't mean we double the evil. Because hmm. what they're asking you to do as a Christian baker with a gay, uh, a wedding cake for a gay couple is to uh, join them in their evil. And if and with that, with the example you give with that baker from Colorado, he was he was willing to make them a cake. People don't realize that. He said, I will make you a cake. I just can't make you that cake. I won't put two men with plastic figurines on there. You can buy the plastic figurines and put them on, hmm. but I won't do that for you. But that got lost in the whole thing. I never heard that yeah, part. He was willing to, he said, I'll just make a wedding cake for you. That That's fine. I'm just making a cake just like you would buy a birthday cake or whatever, and then you do with it whatever you want. But I won't do that and go that above and beyond thing. Yeah, I don't know. 
It feels so much like you're isolating a passage in the Bible, and we know that that's completely wrong to just, you can't just take one passage and make that what you're going to stand on. If you're going to use the Bible, you have to use it as a whole book. And so to to take that one passage and say, oh, you have to make that cake because of this passage says, uh, you're kind of turning a blind eye to all the other passages in the Bible and saying, oh, those don't matter. What what struck me was that I don't think the author realized this, but he was actually admitting that uh, homosexuality is a sinful thing. Because <laughs> yeah. he said, like, you're, you're, you're doing something wrong. Well, you know, just let people do wrong stuff to you. Okay, well, you're saying it's wrong then. So for you guys, Jay, how do we apply Jesus' words here in a grade school setting? And then, Jeremy, how do we apply Jesus' words in a high school setting? You know, loving your enemies and so forth. Yeah, well, we've got some pretty good experience in uh, these last few weeks of that. Um, but just the idea of the people that you may not get along with, and it's especially difficult in an elementary school setting because especially for our Lutheran schools, they're so small. And so you can't just avoid people. It's, you know, we can tell kids, we'll just try to ignore them and avoid them. But you can't do that. I mean, you only have 20 kids in your class you're going to see those kids. And so um, just getting them to understand that, you know, you don't have to get along with them. You don't have to necessarily be best buddies with them. I just, I just talked to the kids today in our devotion. Like it doesn't mean that you're inviting them to your sleepovers or whatever. uh, But we are supposed to love and we're supposed to deeply love each other. Um, And, and that means that we look out for the best interest of the other person even when we don't like that person. And so just trying to get them to understand that it, it's really easy to show kindness and love to your friends. Pagans do that, according to the Bible. Now, that got to kind of explain that term, but unbelievers do that. You know, people that don't believe in Jesus do that. And so it, that, that's simple. But as Christians, we're called to a higher standard. We're called to love everybody not just the people that are kind to us. And so trying to get them to understand that concept is, is tricky, but that's kind of where, where we take these words. Um, yeah, as far as the high school goes, and it, really in any kind of a setting, it, my mind is kind of drawn to verse 35 where it talks about your reward will be great. And obviously that can't be talking about eternal life in heaven because Jay was saying, if you take the rest of the Bible in context, uh, heaven is not a reward that you earn or deserve in any way. Um, I just think uh, th- that concept of Jesus and, and rewards of grace is one that doesn't really get talked about enough. I think as Lutherans, we're, we're very tuned into God's undeserved love, and uh, that's a good thing, and we, we need more of that. Uh, but let's not pretend like Jesus never said anything about rewards either. And I think that can be a, a maybe a good way to think of it as, as incentive or motivation that um, what, what is it that, that gets the high schoolers or the grade schoolers to, uh, to behave well or to, to shape up in class. Um, a lot of times it is the 
incentive of a reward. We're going to, you know, have a pizza party or uh, we'll, we'll get to play a game in class instead of take notes. Um, and uh, and that's, that's how kind Jesus is to us. Not only does he say, he, he could just say, that what I always say about the reward thing is, Jesus could just say, do this because I told you to. But in love, he says, do this, and I'm also going to respond with a, a gift or a blessing uh, after you do this. I think, too, that going along with that, with the reward idea, just how many things in the Bible that we find that there's just natural rewards that come from doing these things. When you are loving, when you are kind, you'll find that there's natural rewards like people like you. <laughs> people want to hang out with you. And, and so you have friends and you have um, people that truly care about you, not fake friends, which is a big middle school problem. You know, if, if you actually are kind to people and you love them unconditionally, that that creates really strong bonds. And, and so I think so many things in the Bible, God tells us to do these things, but it's not just because he wants us to do them. It's because he knows that they're good for us, too. Yeah. So yesterday, after teaching seventh grade catechism class, I made the mistake of popping in and saying something to our principal. And he said, oh, pastor, he have to meet with some middle school girls who aren't getting along. You want to be part of this? Oh, not really, Dave, but... Uh, How could you not want to be part of that? Yeah. Oh, ooh, that was fun. Man, if looks could kill, oh, those girls just could not get along. They had two seats next to each other, and the one decided she was not sitting right next to that other young lady. It was, it was brutal. There was no repentance there of not getting along with each other. And then just, you know, as you said, Jay, about all the middle schoolers, just trying to get them to see them not getting along was not just affecting them. That it was affecting that this girl has this set of friends, this girl has this set of friends. There's some of them that like both, and then they like, uh, they're involved in other friend groups of, say, like the eighth graders, and then, the, but the thing is, you know, with the eighth grade girls, but then I get home and I hear from my wife who is an aide in the middle school about which eighth grade girl is dating which eighth grade boy. And then those things are going to get spread around to the boys. And then that's going to go with the seventh grade boys and the sixth grade boys are playing basketball or having recess together. And it, like you said, it's a small school. Was there 60 kids in the in the middle school building? Yeah, pretty much 60. And you're seeing each other all the time. And so I told Mr. Ring afterwards, I said, I pray for you and Jay that you have to deal with this stuff all the time. And I told you yesterday, Jeremy, when I was explaining the story to you, I pray for Mr. Strutz, who is the dean of students over at at uh, at Shoreland Lutheran High School because he has to probably deal with this kind of junk all the time. Uh, and, and it's tough, but the the thing is, and I told this to the girls, is I want to treat you as sanctified saints. I had to explain what sanctified saints was. You know, I want to deal with you as Christians, uh, with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. But right now, you're not ex you're not demonstrating that at all in your actions. You're demonstrating it only as your your saint side, and it's coming out loud and clear. Your sinner, your sinner side. Your sinner side. What, yeah, yeah. yeah, your sinner side. Yeah, saint side was not there. <laughs> Yeah, but it it, it kind of shows you the flip side of what 
um, Jay was just talking about that. I, I think that's a great point that doesn't get made enough that a lot of times the, the righteous act is its own reward that, you know, uh, honor your parents, obey them, even when it doesn't make sense. Uh, it, even when they go, maybe go too far, um, because uh, it, th- there's a reward in it. You actually have a good. You're going to continue to have a good relationship with your parents, mm-hmm. and uh, and but then the flip side is also true, of uh, that sometimes the punishment of the sin is more of the sin. That the, that the sin is its own punishment, and you know you look at. I th- just think of these two girls sitting side by side, like you described, and um, I just have to wonder, like, are you are you either of you enjoying this right now? Is this is this fun? Is this nice? No, it's like you, you want to persist in this, but persisting in it is kind of the punishment in a way. Yeah. So taking, uh, looking at these words that you said people will take out of context, I think a big one is verse 37. You know, they'll say, well, don't judge. And they'll tell us, and people will say that to us as Christians, do not judge and you will not be judged. So what is Jesus teaching here? Is he saying we can't ever judge someone? No. Oh, <laughs> but he says is that the don't answer judge. you're looking for? Yeah. So what does he mean then? Good, good seventh grade answer. Yeah. No. No. God. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> um, I have a brother-in-law who kind of went on a riff about this. He's he's an elder at our church in Kansas, and he was talking about how if you really took this as like a, a complete prohibition on all kinds of, of judging of whatever sort, like you you could never make a decision. Like you'd never be able to cross the street. You would never be able to, um, you know, hire somebody uh, for a job. If you, if you say do not judge is what we should always do in every circumstance, um, obviously that is blowing blowing it out of proportion. Yeah, and that's where uh, you said this, Jay. You have to use the Bible in context, and you got to use all of it because Jesus says here, "Do not judge." But there's a lot of other places where God says to judge. Mm-hmm. And we judge doctrine, we judge motives, we judge. Well, we don't judge motives; we judge actions. We do judge motives, I guess, but we judge them, like Luther says, in the kindest possible way, not the worst possible way. Which is, again, going back to those girls, they were taking words and actions in the worst possible way. Uh, So, I don't know, Jay, do you ever experience parents who can be judgmental toward toward you as a teacher and assistant principal? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Told you I talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He said before we started, he said he was going to be as quiet as a church mouse over there. Yes. Um, Yeah, I think that... Oftentimes, what happens is that there's just a lack of communication. Uh, most of the time, when parents assume something and then they judge based on those assumptions or based on what a student tells them, uh, that's where we have issues where they think one thing happened because that's what their child told them. And then when the conversation actually happens, that's when things get cleared up and they go, oh. That's not what I heard. And so um, that's kind of one of the things that we, we work hard trying to do better at is just trying to communicate with parents, trying to make sure that they're aware of what's going on at the school. And and usually when that happens, that 
alleviates a lot of the issues that come up with parents making assumptions and, and thinking one thing and uh, children oftentimes giving information that's not necessarily the total truth. Yeah, again, I keep going back to the conversation with those ladies. Because I told the one lady there, uh, I don't believe you. You know, what she was saying with this other girl had said about her, I said, I don't believe you. And I, and I told her, I said, and I'm sure you're going to go back home and tell your parents, pastor said, he doesn't believe me. I said, I don't believe you because you're a sinner and you're going to say things that are untrue. That what you're saying is that you're overhearing what this other girl is saying. You're also listening to another friend has told you, she said, so you're listening or you're overhearing or you're not listening closely and you're taking words and actions in the worst possible way. I said, you're listening to gossip. You're spreading gossip. There's three sins right there with the eighth commandment that you're breaking. So you have, I have no reason to trust you. But I told her, but your parents, they're only going to hear your side of the story. And unfortunately, parents today, they're going to believe the student who's the innocent angel at school, although not at home, but the innocent angel as opposed to us who are grown adults and called workers who have their child's best interest in mind. Yeah, I think that you, you hit on a, a thing that goes along with this text too, I think. It's just the more that we act like this, the more that we start to see the world in a different way. And I think, you know, looking at those two ladies that are having some issues at school, they've they've gotten so engrossed in this idea that, they don't like each other, that every action, everything that they see is a negative action towards the other. You know, they, she's talking. And so every time she's talking, she must be talking about me in a negative way. Every time she's laughing, it must be a negative laugh towards me. And so it's just this math, this, you know, perspective that they put on that totally distorts everything that they see. And I think that if we follow Jesus' words here, it, it gives us a different mask to say, hey, you know, we're here to serve, we're here to love, and I'm going to take everybody's words and actions in the kindest possible way, turn the other cheek, I'm going to, you know, do everything I can to love and, and show kindness. And, and when we do that, I think that it really changes our perspective on others too. It, it really gives us a different view of what other people do, and, and we don't take other people's words and actions in the negative perspective. And with what Jesus said here of pray for those who mistreat you. So Mr. Ring asked me to, because I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to know how to pray really well. So he asked me to close that counseling session with prayer. I said, no, I'm going to have each of you ladies pray out loud, but pray for the other person by name. So the one girl, she struggled to do, do it. The second girl refused. And that just showed me and Mr. Ring, they are not repentant. And so you have, there is no forgiveness. You know, uh, Dave Ring pulled out Matthew 28. He read it to them. We want to show the law so we can give the gospel and give forgiveness. But we couldn't because there was no repentance there. And that, that was actually a loving thing. Yeah, that's that's surprising, but it was loving to to, to withhold the law, withhold the gospel. Um, and can I just ask? Well, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and because I wanted to bring this up, because I told the ladies too. I said, um, I said my wife and I, and they know Mrs. Darling as their aide. I said, 
we had a very smart pastor as our uh, pastor who did pre-marriage counseling with us because he was a seminary professor and now he's the president of MLC. So he knows what he's talking about. And he said to us, you know, Michael and Shelly, you know, my wife and I don't always get along. And, but what we do is every night we pray together and it's because it's hard to stay mad at someone when you're praying with that person. And I've always used those words in 25 years of <clears throat> pre-marriage and marriage counseling. And that's what I told the girls. It's hard to stay mad at, e- at each other if you're praying with and for one another. Were that, say, I was just going to ask curiosity. Uh, do you recall either of them being able to speak the other one's name out loud? Uh, no. Because that, that's something that's hit me recently, hmm. especially like looking at uh, Jesus and when he ever he had his encounters with the Pharisees and the enemies of chief priests is they, they always called him that fellow. You know, it's like that guy, that fellow, this one. And, and it's just, I think it's interesting that, you know, it's somebody that you're, that you really have it out for to test. You, you can't even say the, the person's name. You don't want to. It's like uh, Voldemort. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Who shall not be named? <laughs> uh, Jeremy, you want to get into the, the epistle lesson too? Uh, just because I think the epistle lesson fits so well with the gospel lesson. We won't have time to get into the Old Testament lesson, but uh, those that put the, the the readings for the Sunday together did a really good job of dealing with forgiveness. The Old Testament lesson is Genesis 45 as as uh, Joseph forgives his brothers. And and I had chapel with the middle school and our early childhood campus students this week. And I just, I wanted them to think about it not from Joseph's point of view, because that's usually where we look at the story from. I wanted them to think of it from the brother's point of view, in that imagine 17 years of carrying guilt around. You know, guilt of what they have done to their their brother, and seventeen years of shame, of seeing their their dad just moping around in grief and mourning, because his favorite son was dead, and knowing in the shame there that they lied to him, covering up what they had done with uh, tearing up the coat of Joseph and covering it with goat's blood and so forth, and then going to. Egypt and seeing their brother and now on top of the guilt and shame is terror. Hmm. And what I liken it to is Joseph is really a type of Jesus offering us forgiveness. And because we are those brothers who have guilt and shame and should feel terror, but instead, and I don't, I hadn't thought of these words until I read them again when Joseph just says, come near. And Jesus says what? Come near to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you, you know, my burden is light, uh, my yoke is easy, and so forth. So just wanted to bring that in, that with those three readings, they fit so well together this week. So this is Romans thirteen, uh, Romans 12, uh, starting with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who are weeping. Have the same respect for one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the humble. Do not think too highly of yourselves. Do not pay anyone back evil for evil. Focus on those things that everyone considers noble. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, maintain peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my fr- uh, do not take revenge, dear friends, 
but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what does it mean to heap burning coals on someone's head, Jeremy? So, uh, I'm actually, uh, this is the text that I'm taking to Kenosha, or Summers, this Sunday. For um, I got to preach on it, so yes, I should probably spoiler alert. Yeah, give us a sixty-minute sermon. Get warmed up here. Um, So it has to do with there. There's lots of possibilities, but I think that the the best option I've heard is that um, think think of your neighbors, uh, the people like I mean, literally the people who live next door to you or in your neighborhood, and uh, a lot of times you may not necessarily. get along with them because you see what they're like or they they've got some little thing that's growing over it onto your yard or they leave their stuff out and and you know whatever they, you get on each other's nerves when you live in close quarters that's the point and um the, and now think in biblical times nothing's that different uh but uh how do you heat your home how do i heat my home in biblical times fire yes you have some kind of a stove or oven, uh, some kind of a heating element that you have to keep burning. And if you would ever let it expire, you'd ever let it burn out. Uh, then you, you, especially in the winter months, you gotta you gotta get that started really quick. And so, um, you what you want to do is go next door and ask the neighbor for uh, some of their coals, uh, so that you can get your fire started again. Can't but, you just use some paper and cardboard like but, I do with or, my fire? Or magnifying glass or <laughs> kerosene. Um, battery and uh, steel wool. <laughs> or, or like my wife has all kinds of, she takes all the lint from the dryer, puts it in an egg carton, and then puts wax over the top. So that's my homemade fire starter. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's way too much work. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Uh but let's say like you, you, you have maybe strained relationships with your neighbor, but then you need to ask for a favor, and, and, and they would often carry things on their heads uh, in those time, in that well, still to this day in, in those countries. Um, and uh, so if you had like a basin of some kind and you loaded it up with coals that your neighbor is loaning to you so you can get your fire restarted, uh, now the whole way home you're walking, you're feeling that heat, on the top of your head and thinking about, you know, well, maybe my neighbor's not such a bad guy after all. Um, and uh, that that's kind of the idea here is that um, you've got a conflict going on, fighting back and forth, bickering between two people, uh, but then one of them does a kindness for the other, and it's kind of like that just sits with the other then, and the whole... The whole way home or wherever they're going, they're thinking to themselves, hmm, maybe so-and-so is, is not such a bad guy after all. So this is a good thing. Because I, yeah. I always took it as uh, that heaping burning coals on his head would mean you're making them uncomfortable because you've done good to them. Oh, well, that, that's, that's true, too. But I didn't think of, like, I never thought of, like, something on their head that you're carrying it in. I thought just the burning coals just on their head bare, which would be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, well, that would burn that yeah. would burn you, yeah. It might look like there's a scar on your nose yeah. or something like that. 
No, but that's absolutely part of it is the uncomfortableness of it. It's it's a lot easier for those two girls, like we were talking about, to keep firing missiles at each other uh, because, uh, well, I don't feel bad about this because she did the same thing to me. But suddenly, if one of them would do an act of kindness, now that's burning coals, and that mm-hmm. that would be that would make you that would make the other one uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's just like a almost a frustration with the person who is doing the kind things because it's annoying when somebody's really nice to you and you like because the expectation is that they're going to be mean back to you you almost do it in that with the expectation of them being mean back to you so if they're kind to you when you're trying to be mean to them i feel like that just frustrates you and just makes you angrier because you're like why why are you doing this and it, it turns it around and it makes it a mirror to say wait oh I guess I'm I'm the jerk. Yeah, I'm the jerk. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because when I've talked, when I've taught anger management, either in a Bible class or uh, individuals or married couples, I always ask them, "Can someone make you mad?" Well, they always want to say yes. I said, "No, it's how you choose to react." And I've had plenty of people in in the you know early on. I was a hothead. You know, I got that from from my dad, who I'm sure he got from his dad and so forth. But over the years, I've been able to mellow and to be able when people have gotten upset and just to be calm. And then, yeah, it helps diffuse the situation too. Uh, I don't know if it really heaps burning coals on their head in the way I've dealt with it, but it, it hopefully it diffuses the situation instead of yelling at someone or texting them in all caps again, like they, they texted back to me. Uh, what uh, in verse what is it tw- uh, 18 I think it is uh, if it is possible as far as it depends on you maintain peace with everyone why do you think Paul writes if it is possible why doesn't he just say uh, maintain peace with everyone why do he add if it's possible I think sometimes it's not possible why not that's too many questions in a row. <laughs> well, sometimes it, it is a, a case where you have to. Um, you can you can always maintain peace, but you end up you might need to end up uh, compromising your values, and uh, uh, that's why that uh, I can't think of what psalm that is. I think it's Psalm eighty two or whatever. But it's like that where it talks about righteousness and peace kiss each other. Uh, uh, righteous you you can you can have you can have righteousness everything can be right uh that doesn't mean everything's going to be peaceful and at the same time you can have peace but that doesn't mean everything's going to be right um but if you can ever find a time where righteousness and peace kiss each other well that's first of all in Jesus in Christ you've got righteousness meeting peace uh but that that's kind of yeah like like Jay was saying um it may not be possible yeah, kind of goes back to the previous conversation we had too about being a doormat. I think that at times peace is not an option. There's going to be conflict because, like Jeremy said, the the values are conflicting, and so we we have a conflict in our lives, and conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and I think that at times we have to stand up for certain values and, and things that are important to say doctrinally true or, or just to stand up for ourselves. Yeah, and this morning I was listening to a podcast and 
a pastor and a chaplain uh, up in Canada was being interviewed. And the chaplain was talking about how in Canada, because of, they've got the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa, where you've got all these truckers in downtown Ottawa and so forth, the government's not real happy with them. And, and yet the pastor said that he saw these police uh, in the riot gear and so forth, and he said, being Canadian, who are super polite, he walked up, tapped one of the police officers on the shoulder and was talking to him and saying, I understand that you guys probably don't want to do this, but the government's making you do that and go against your conscience. And he said that these police officers were like in tears because they were conflicted. And as we're talking, I'm getting things on my computer of uh, showing news feeds of, you know, the police are out in riot gear arresting and beating up. I saw a video before we started recording of a police officer taking the butt of his uh, gun to someone's back and head. And Mm -hmm. so the violence is starting with these protests. But the key is, who is it coming from? It's not from those who are protesting. You know, they've got the moral high ground. And that's what I think Paul is saying here is us as Christians, is there's going to be conflict but we as Christians should always have the moral high ground so that if there is, there's going to be that conflict and uh, there's war or whatever, people can look at us as Christians and say, well, they didn't start it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, too, just even in a smaller scale within your own families or within you know, your places of work, there's, there's conflict. And just because we're Christians doesn't mean there's not going to be conflict. We're going to not get along at times and just understanding that that's okay. Um, it's not always going to be peaceful just because we're Christians doesn't mean we should not care about anything. Uh, we should still have things that we care about. Um, but if at all possible, we want to maintain that peace and that when the times arise that it's not possible, we still have to maintain other values that we as Christians hold, and, and that means that we're, you know, telling the truth in love and, and making sure that we're, we're speaking in love and kindness and, and doing what's best for not just ourselves, but seeking the best for others. And then I know we spent a lot of time talking about these two girls in the <laughs> office, and yet, uh, because we have Jay here, we wanted to tell, you know, use that kind of story, but understanding for all of you as adults listening you have the same kind of conflicts in your small workplace, whether it's in an office or a factory, a school setting, your own home. You just take everything that we talked about with preteen and teenage girls and translate it to your, uh, uh, to your situation. Yeah, probably won't even take that much translating because <laughs> from what I've heard, my dad works at uh, Walgreens and he's a manager there and he's, oh. he deals with the same issues as far as girls and drama and it, you know no matter where you go problems don't really change too much sinister like we talked about at the beginning and then with that again i said this to the ladies yesterday but i've said it so many times in so many different situations is uh i told them you have two options you can either have the guts to go and talk to the person and say hey what you said hurt me and then you forgive them or you swallow your because you don't have the guts to go talk to them, then you just forgive them. But one way or another, and I think all three scripture lessons for the Sunday, they all have that same theme. No matter what, you forgive. And that's both the beginning point 
and the ending point as Christians. Anything else you guys want to bring up? I have spoken. <laughs> All right. Ditto. This is the way. Uh, so this is Pastor Zarling with Jay Sully and Pastor. And God said, let there be lightning. Stay thirsty, my friends, and drink deeply from the water of life.